Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, August 15th. Torah was meant to be lived out in community and in the context of relationships. A very effective way to study the Bible is in a small group doing a midrash or discussion. This helps you to go deeper into the Word as you take time to reflect on it, make connections from one scripture to another, and apply the scriptures to your personal walk. We have added a new feature on the Daily Audio Torah website if you are involved in a small group Bible study or would like to start one, we can help you. We have added discussion questions for you to use when your group gathers. We will post discussion questions for every Shabbat reading, and they will be posted on the website a week in advance so you have time to read and prepare ahead of time. We have also posted guidelines for leaders and facilitators to help you grow your small group in a healthy way. Just go to the new pick on the menu discussion questions, and you will find everything you need there to nurture and grow your small group. We also offer coaching support if you need help or have questions. See the Guidelines for Leaders PDF for details. Have fun learning and growing in God's Word together in your small group. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures, and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Shaftim, and it means Judges. Deuteronomy 18.9-19.8 When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, Never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune-telling, or use sorcery, or interpret omens, or engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the dead spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune-tellers. But the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. 
For this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, Don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, or see this blazing fire, for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, What they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name, or who speaks in the name of another god, must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. When the Lord your God destroys the nations whose land he is giving you, you will take over their land and settle in their towns and homes. Then you must set apart three cities of refuge in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Survey the territory and divide the land the Lord your God is giving you into three districts, with one of these cities in each district. Then anyone who has killed someone can flee to one of the cities of refuge for safety. If someone kills another person unintentionally, without previous hostility, the slayer may flee to any of these cities to live in safety. For example, suppose someone goes into the forest with a neighbor to cut wood, and suppose one of them swings an axe to chop down a tree, and the axe head flies off the handle, killing the other person. In such cases, the slayer may flee to one of the cities of refuge to live in safety. If the distance to the nearest city of refuge is too far, an enraged avenger might be able to chase down and kill the person who caused the death. Then the slayer would die unfairly, since he had never shown hostility toward the person who died. That is why I am commanding you to set aside three cities of refuge. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he swore to your ancestors, and gives you all the land he promised them, you must designate three additional cities of refuge. He will give you this land if you are careful to obey all the commands I have given you, if you always love the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Nehemiah 9.22-10.39 Then you, the Lord, helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations and you placed your people in every corner of the land. They took over the land of King Sihon of Heshbon and the land of King Og of Bashan. You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations and their kings as they pleased. 
our ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. But despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you and they committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you and you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. But as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them Yet, whenever your people turned and cried to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy you rescued them many times. You warned them to return to your law, your Torah, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if only they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people, from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Every time you punished us, you were being just, We have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserved. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to the warnings in your commands and laws. Even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you, though you showered your goodness on them. You gave them a large, fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. So now today... We are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. The people responded, In view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. The document was ratified and sealed with the following names. The governor, Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, and also Zedekiah. The following priests, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malkijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, 
Maluk, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Bejamin, Messiah, Bilgai, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. The following Levites, Jeshua, son of Azaniah, Benui, from the family of Henadad, Cadmiel, and their fellow Levites, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Paliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, and Beninu. The following leaders, Parush, Mehath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvi, Aden, Ater, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashum, Bezai, Harif, Enathoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Kizer, Meshazabel, Zadok, Jadua, Palatiah, Hanan, Aniah, Hoshia, Hananiah, Hashub, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Messiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harim, and Bena. Then the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land, in order to obey the law of God, together with their wives, sons, and daughters, and all who were old enough to understand, joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, and not to let our sons marry their daughters. We also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or on any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we will let our land rest and we will cancel all debts owed to us. In addition, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of one-eighth of an ounce of silver for the care of the temple of our God. This will provide for the bread of the presence, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Shabbats, the new moon celebrations, and the annual festivals, for the holy offerings and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. It will provide for everything necessary for the work of the temple of our God. We have cast sacred lots to determine when, at regular times each year, the families of the priests, Levites, and the common people should bring wood to God's temple to be burned on the altar of the Lord our God, as is written in the law. We promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all our herds and flocks, as prescribed in the law. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. 
We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit, and the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. A priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes. And a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God and placed in storerooms. The people and the Levites must bring these offerings of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. First Corinthians nine nineteen to ten thirteen. Even though I, Paul, am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many people to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win! All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, 
The people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Psalm 34, 1-10 I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak His praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. I prayed to the Lord, and He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Proverbs 21.13 Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. I want to speak to you today from our Torah portion reading from Deuteronomy chapter 18, and then we're going to jump into Nehemiah 9 and 10. And there's a particular verse in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, and it is a Yeshua sighting. Yeshua is found all over the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Old Testament. But you have to look for him. He's there. And this is one of those verses. It is a, uh, a verse that's pointing to him as a prophet. So the verse reads in Deuteronomy 18:15 Moses continued The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites you must listen to him. And so Moses is basically stating that he himself is a prophet but that God was going to raise up another prophet in the future and that he would be a fellow Israelite, and he's instructing them, you must listen to him. This is referring to Yeshua. Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy, and that's even spoken of in the book 
of Revelation, where it is written in Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you not do, do not do that. I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Yeshua. Worship God, for the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. So Moses was pointing to him, Yeshua, who is the spirit of prophecy. Now I want to jump into Nehemiah, chapters 9 and 10. And in these chapters, uh, they are being shown their sin. The people are being shown their sin. And then they make a promise. So I want to start in verse 36 of chapter 9. So now today we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. Now, let's just overlay that with another set of circumstances where it seems like it's repeating all over again. History repeats itself. Biblical history is prophecy. And the ancestors who first came to the United States of America, to the North American continent, the first colonists who came from Europe, They were fleeing persecution, religious persecution, and they wanted their freedom. And over time, they arrived and they sank their roots and grew crops and began to settle. And ultimately, there was a revolutionary war to break away from the British crown. And they became an independent nation. And America was greatly prosperous especially through the 1950s and 60s. And then it began to do a downturn. There was tremendous prosperity, and it was the land of opportunity, the land of um, prosperity. But now, where we are now today, it feels in many ways like we have become slaves. And you work so hard, and even though they might raise the minimum wage up from, you know, maybe from 15 bucks an hour up to 18 and $20 an hour, because it's so expensive to live with high rent and high gas prices and high food prices, it's really hard to keep your head above water. And we're slaves in so many ways. We don't have freedom anymore. Uh, the whole January 6th debacle with million, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who went to Washington, D.C. to peacefully protest that the 2020 election had been stolen and wanted to send a message to the Congress and to the leaders that we're not pleased with this. There's more than 900 people who are still languishing away in the gulag prisons of Washington, D.C. without any due process. And so it sends a chilling message Don't peacefully protest. Don't exercise 
your constitutional rights, because if you do, you could end up in prison. And we see Trump being indicted now on more trumped up charges. And they want to basically hamper him so that he cannot run for election as a president for 2024. And it almost seems like we're living in a banana republic. So our freedoms have been tremendously eroded. We also are living now in a surveillance state. And everywhere you go on the major highways and freeways throughout America, up and down the I-5 corridor and all throughout the nation, you see these big, huge smart lamps. And the smart lamps were installed pretty much during the pandemic. That's when they got put in. They're at the on-ramps and off-ramps of the freeways. And they have cameras. It's surveillance. It feels like a prison, a digital prison. Then we have the 5G towers going up everywhere. And let me tell you, those are not just about sending out cell phone signals. Those are weapons. And they can beam high-energy beams at a person and cause a heart attack. Um, So we're living in slavery. Then we pay high taxes. And the Congress recently took away... (laughs) There used to be a tax... debt ceiling. And every time that we would get close to the debt ceiling, the Congress would have to do something to raise the debt ceiling higher so that the government can continue to function and operate to pay its bills and to put pay out to the veterans and to Social Security and etc. Well, this last time when the Congress met, instead of raising the ceiling, they just got rid of the ceiling. They They don't have a debt ceiling anymore. They can just print Monopoly money till the cows come home, which means that our children and our grandchildren are going to be in debt for a very long time. So here we are today, like slaves in the land of plenty that God gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. And back to the scriptures, the verse 37 the lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. Now, there's a perspective that I think I do agree on. I've heard this shared, and I think I agree with it. Biden was put over this nation, allowed sovereignly allowed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord allowed him to become the president as a judgment on this nation. Now, yes, at a certain level, the election was stolen and they stuffed ballots and they messed with the digital voting machines and it was stolen, but the Lord allowed it. He is sovereign. He allowed it as a a judgment upon this nation. And yes, a lot of people are miserable under his rulership. And just like when the Hebrews were oppressed under Pharaoh in Egypt, they began to cry out. They began to cry out and cry to God and say, deliver us, deliver us, get us out of here. And similarly, as long as we're super comfortable 
we're not going to cry out. We're not going to turn to God with all of our heart and ask for him to deliver us. When we're super comfortable, it's easy to kind of forget about the Lord. But when we're suffering and being persecuted and being oppressed, and when we're being treated like slaves, that's when the people begin to wake up and cry out. And so the Lord allows nations to go through deep trials, and his purpose is always to get us to repent. He wants us to repent. And when we repent as a people, that moves the heart and the hand of God. So let's look at the promise that they made to the Lord in um, verse 28. Then the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God, together with their wives, sons, daughters, and all who were old enough to understand, joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God, the Torah as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Now, I want to add something to what we just read, and that is, we can also make a similar oath and promise to follow the law of God, as issued by his servant Moses. And they said, we'll put a curse on ourselves if we fail to obey. Well, guess what? They failed to obey. And guess what? We will fail to obey as well. Unless we have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, if we try to do it on our own, in our own efforts, in our own flesh, we will fail and that will bring a curse upon ourselves. The purpose of the law, the Torah, is to be like a mirror. And we look in the mirror and we see dirt on our face. And then we turn to Yeshua, our Messiah, our Savior, and he's the soap. He's the one who cleans us. He's the one who empowers us. So when we rest from our dead works and we repent from our dead works and we turn to the living God and we turn to Yeshua, it is his spirit that is dwelling in us, that is at work within us. We rest while he works. And then we can follow the Torah by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verse 30, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. I want to speak a little bit about that. I have seen some grievous situations and in my own life experienced a very grievous situation. And here's the principle. If you have a family member, it could be a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a son or a daughter, someone close to you who you care about and who you love, and they marry a non-believer, a worldly person, someone who is carnal, someone who is pagan. It is very, very grievous. It often can end the relationship. 
you can keep on trying to love them and be gracious and be merciful. And for a season, you may still be able to be involved in their life. But I believe we are really at a point where the Lord is sifting, sorting, and separating. And so I have two sons, and they married beautiful women, very, very beautiful women from another country. But these ladies are not following the Lord. Now, they're not wicked or evil, so to speak. They're just very worldly. And in the beginning, we connected and we had relationship and we would see each other occasionally a couple of times a year. But something happened where we just can't be together anymore. One of the ladies has really turned the heart of my son totally away from me. And through her influence that she has, she's also done this with my other son because the two sisters married the two brothers. And so they're this tight-knit little clique. And only people get to enter into their little clique. And I'm not one of those people. And so these worldly women, pagans, if you will, have completely turned the hearts of my sons away from the Lord and away from their side of the family. And it's all about these ladies and their side of the family. I've also seen other situations where a father marries a very worldly woman. You know, it's a second marriage. He got divorced in second marriage, and he marries later in life. And now his own children have been basically thrown under the bus, and they're just not in the picture anymore. It's called the cancel culture. So what I'm seeing here is in marriages, if one of the spouses is worldly and carnal and pagan, They take the other person who maybe was a weak believer or a backslidden believer away from the Lord and down this other path of worldliness, love of the world, love of self, love of everything except Christ. And they end up turning their back on the Lord and it it severs relationships and it's heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking, very, very grievous. I have shed many, many tears over this, and I have prayed many prayers, and I continue to pray. I forgive in my heart what has happened, but I and I pray much for their salvation and for their um, return to Christ, because I know my sons, I raise them in the ways of God, I brought them to church. I read the Bible over them. I prayed over them. I did all I could to lead them in that path. And they've walked in another direction. So I pray that those good seeds that were planted in their heart, that there will be one day those seeds will spring up and break forth and that there will be a crop. But sometimes what the Lord has to do to bring someone to himself when all these weeds 
have choked out the seed of the word of God is sometimes what he has to do is orchestrate circumstances to where you become really desperate. It's kind of like he drops a spiritual brick on your head from heaven and that gets your attention because the tap on the shoulder didn't get your attention. So the brick on the head is next. (laughs) So again, this verse really resonates with me. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. Because the whole woke culture and the cancel culture has really become a wedge that has divided people. And sometimes I think that this whole COVID pandemic, even that the Lord used that as well. Even though it came out of the minds and hearts of evil people who concocted this very deadly virus and released it intentionally into the world, and then they developed a bioweapon to follow up. Um, They call it a vaccine, but it's a bioweapon. The Lord used the pandemic again to do more of his sifting, sorting, and separating. There were stories of families that at Thanksgiving would not gather because some of the family members took the jab. And they had swallowed the CNN Kool-Aid and believed that, you know, the vaccine was safe and effective and that it prevented transmission and prevented you from getting COVID. They believed those lies. And then other family members that did not take the jab were not invited to Thanksgiving because you might, you know, transmit COVID to me. And so it really did bring a lot of division in families. And some of those divisions, those rifts, have not been healed. So what do we do? Where does that leave us? We are to forgive those who have treated us wrongly. Those who have canceled us. Those who have uninvited us to family celebrations and holidays, we're to forgive them, for they know not what they do. But, and we can pray for them. We can certainly pray for them with God's heart towards that whole situation. But again, this verse really resonates with me personally, and I know it does with others as well, that if you have sons or daughters who've married someone who is not a believer, they are unequally yoked. Often what it does is it pulls them away from the faith, it pulls them away from Yeshua, and they go down that worldly path, and it's like they've been taken captive by the enemy, and it's a great heartache. I so relate to the story of the prodigal son, and I'm standing there like the father, waiting, waiting for that prodigal to return. Now, the father did not go chasing after him. He didn't follow him and say, please, son, please come home. He waited, and I'm sure he prayed. He waited and he prayed until finally the son repented. And when he repented, he came to his senses, and then he returned home, and then, of course, the father threw a big party to celebrate. My son was lost, but now is found. 
this is the song Amazing Grace basically sings about that moment. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So, Father, we do lift up loved ones who've gotten married and who have married a spouse that is in the world, who's worldly and carnal and a Canaanite, an unbeliever. We lift up loved ones, a son, a father, a sister, a mother, a brother, a daughter. We pray for these, Lord, and we ask that you will send forth your Holy Spirit and that you will set up circumstances in their lives, that they will become desperate, that they will not be comfortable, kick away all the props of comfort, and let them become uncomfortable, let them become desperate, let them cry out to you, let them see that life is a mess without a relationship with you. We pray for their salvation. We pray the blood of the Messiah, Yeshua, over them. We speak your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, and your loving kindness over them. And we speak salvation over them. And we cry out, Father, that their day of salvation would be soon very soon. We pray that they would no longer be held captive in the enemy's camp, in the place of darkness. But Lord, liberate them and set them free, and let them come out of darkness into your eternal and glorious light. Bring them into your kingdom, into your family. We cry out for them, and we will give you no rest until we see you move in their lives to redeem them, to rescue them. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>